What's up, everybody? Welcome to Call to the Bullpen. I'm David Payne with Brad Zampar and Jimmy Miller. Let's play ball. Bouncer down the line, or Shella backhand long throw. The stretch at first. All right, so today we're going to be answering some burning questions that we have uh, surrounding the baseball world right now um, and in general. So uh, the first one that I have, uh, I'm going to kick it off here, um, is, is kind of based on a conversation that we had about uh, our May awards power rankings that are going to come out at the start of June. Um, we were talking about uh, you know who we think the front runners are for each of the awards here. Um, and something that came up is that in the American League Rookie of the Year, I'm talking about it's not the typical guys that, that you know we predicted at the beginning of the year with. I think Jimmy picked Hunter Brown. I think I had Grayson and, and Brad had Gunner, um, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and it's been names that you know we're throwing out there that were like Masataka Yoshida. Um, and what I threw out was Yanir Cano from the Orioles. Uh, and that brings me to the question of uh, how do you guys value relief pitchers when it comes to award voting? Because uh, we saw Devin Williams – won the Rookie of the Year in 2020. Um, but before that, you'd have to go back to 2011 for Craig Kimbrell. Um, and in 2010, you had Neftali Feliz. So back-to-back -back years there, um, then about a 10-year gap before another one. Um, and then in recent memory, seasons like Zach Britton in 2016, we talk about all the time, who had you know, one of the greatest relief pitching seasons in baseball history, should have won a Cy Young. I could make an argument for an MVP there. Um, so how do you guys value a relief pitcher when it comes to awards? Because we see in the Hall of Fame, guys like Billy Wagner taking a while to get in. Um, they kind of have a discount there in Hall of Fame voting. So when it comes to year-to-year -year awards, uh, what, do, what do you value do you place on a relief pitcher? How do you evaluate that? I think it's so tough, especially when you talk about like the MVP. You're talking about going against guys that play every day or even with the Cy Young guys that go every fifth day and pitch. 180 plus innings it, it makes it tough so going from 2020 when williams won he had a 60 game sample it's a lot easier to have a dominant season as a reliever when you're talking 60 games you see a lot of relievers get up and down throughout the season but that 60 game period kind of made it you know easy to stay that dominant for that short period of time so i think it is tough i, I don't know where i'd rank or uh, put relievers as far as awards go only because they, you know, they're out there playing uh, 600 plus plate appearances or, you know, 180 plus innings, 30 plus starts. So it makes it tough when you don't see them as much. They're not, you know, the faces of baseball. Yeah, position guys are always going to have the advantage over relief pitchers and even starting pitchers for that matter. Because they're out there every day, they're taking their at bats. And these guys are pitching maybe three times a week at most. And it's definitely tough. I feel like. For relievers like Cano, who's not going to pick up the saves that a lot of the closers are going to pick up, he's got to do like incredible stuff, like what he's doing right now. Like I would like if the All Star game was today, Cano would probably be on the All Star team, 
but in July, he's going to have to do this, like, up until, like, July, like, the start of July for him to, like, have a legit chance at this. Because a lot of those vote guys are going to be – a lot of the uh, – with the players and coaches and uh, the GMs or whatever who else votes on who should be All-Stars, they're going to look at the saves and they're just going to immediately assume that the saves mean more than pitchers who are going in there and not picking up saves or holds. Yeah, I, I think for me the answer is that it's on a, a real case by case basis. There's no general formula for for how you're going to evaluate. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of in the same vein as like a, a DH or something. You know, it's it's a case by case. Uh, when you have a guy go out there like Zach Britton and throw up a .54 ERA um, over 69 games, like that's enough that that that's a front runner for awards in my opinion. But a guy th- goes out and and puts up a, a 1.2 ERA. You know, just as a normal setup man or something, it, that doesn't count as much. I agree. So I think it's really a case by case basis there. Um, but I'm going to throw it to uh, Jimmy for well, one of his questions now. Yeah, I'd say um, I've kind of talked to a lot of people and they want me to kind of ask this. I'd say who is the biggest disappointment so far in baseball team wise? I, I kind of look to the Mets and Padres. I don't know if I'd put them, you know, one and two, probably. I don't know who I'd put one, who I'd put two. I think they were one and two in our sour rankings uh, this week, as we'll talk about. But I'd probably go Mets one, uh, only because you know the expectations were so high. Uh, Padres, you could say they've been without Tatis, so uh, from day one they were kind of you know at a disadvantage. While the Mets just have been outright you know underperforming. You could say last year they overperformed. Guys like Canna, uh, you know, guys like that stature, you know, they're not going to hit as well. They're not going to hit 270 back to back years, so. I think they kind of saw a bit of an overperformance last year. So I don't know if this is just underperforming or, you know, just players of, you know, mid players playing like mid players. You're muted. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, like, the Padres and the Mets, they've both kind of underperformed, but they're also, like, right around that 500 mark. All they need is a good week of play to really get back up there and really throw themselves back into the race. The two that I would have would probably be Chicago White Sox or the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I'd probably go with the Cardinals. Uh, People were picking them. I mean, I was one of their biggest believers. People picked them to win that division pretty easily. And it's everything has gone wrong there. Uh, I don't think you can name a pitcher that's got an ERA under five. Arenado has an OPS under 700. It's just been a, the whole Wilson Contreras debacle is just a whole another conversation in itself. And I think everything there has just gone down and it's just continuing to snowball. Yeah, I think that the Cardinals are the pretty obvious answer. Um, definitely I, for Brad, you know, picking them to run away with the central there. Um, but I'm going to throw out a, a bit of an interesting one. I mean, the, the Padres and the Mets, both, like Brad said, two, two, three games under. It's something that they can come back from in the long term. Um, but I think that it, disappointing in terms of, of play, I'll go Cardinals, but disappointing in terms of what 2023 has become, the San Francisco Giants. Uh, they went out and they planned to have this huge offseason. They planned to compete this year. They planned to go for the West this year. Uh, miss out on Judge. Miss out on Correa. You got the maybe a young leader, Logan Webb, on your ball club. Um, and you're right now you're sitting at 17 and 23 
uh, in fourth place in the division. So uh, for me, that's a, a big disappointment as, as a season, just what this whole season became when they expected to come in as contenders. Um, but Brad, what is your next question for us? So my first question is going to be that we haven't seen a no-hitter yet, and I want to ask how many no-hitters do you think are thrown this year? Do you think we get a perfect game? And one guy you think that is going to throw a no-hitter this year? So I'm going to go with four no-hitters for the rest of the year. I feel like we'll get we'll get a couple that will be kind of grouped together and then maybe one or two down the stretch. Uh, and for the guy that I think is going to throw it, I'm going to take Nathan Avaldi. He has been downright disgusting this year. Um, his last – he's got the longest streak right now in baseball. It's I think it's Clayton Kershaw-esque of what he was doing in his prime. He's got four consecutive starts of uh, eight-plus innings, shutout baseball. I feel like he'll be able to get get one this year. I think that there's going to be two this year. And I think that I, – I, we saw Eduardo Rodriguez almost no-hit the Orioles, almost perfect game the Orioles. Um, and if, if Eduardo Rodriguez could face his own team, if he could face the Tigers, I would pick him for next. Um, but I'm going to say that Garrett Cole gets his no-hitter and that, that Cole throws the, the first no-hitter of this year. And then Erod's going to throw the second one. Um, but, but Cole's going to throw the first one. No perfect game. I think it's possible now. I'm not sure that it's going to be something that happens uh, anytime soon. It seems to be, I don't know, it's been, what, 11 years now since the last perfect game. So um, that might be one of those things that is a, a once in a blue moon occurrence now. Um, but I'm going to say Garrett Cole. Yeah, I think there is going to be one no hitter, and I think it's going to be Verlander. Uh, he looked very good last start. I, I think that, you know, he's kind of building up his innings. Uh, last start, he was touching 98. I think he might have even touched 99. Uh, so we're kind of seeing vintage Verlander, uh, as we all know, as he gets deeper and deeper into games, his uh, velocity gets up. Like he started the game sitting 94, and you know the last thing he was at 97, like I was saying. So I think Verlander still has it. I think it's going to be more, maybe more towards the end of the year when he's fully built up, but he definitely still has a lot left in the tank. I think Verlander. Throwing a, a perfect game would be a, a absolutely uh, one of the most incredible – or a no-hitter would be one of the most incredible feats um, for, for a guy his age going out and, and doing that, adding as many as he had. Would that yeah. be four for him or would that be three? He has three, I think. Yeah, because I think he's what he's no-hit the Blue Jays twice. The- he's, he's just been missing the perfect game. I remember there was like a commercial too. That was kind of like mocking the fact that he didn't have a perfect game and he was being a good sport about it. But that'd be sick if Hurley went and threw another one. Um, my next question uh, it kind of goes off of Jimmy's of, of the biggest disappointments of the year. Um, and it's uh, who's the next team in need of a total rebuild, like a Orioles style, like Astros, Nationals, like tear it down to scratch um, and rebuild the whole thing team. Are you going to start with me? I, I, yeah, I'm honestly thinking I, they started the year off really hot this year, but I'm going to go Pirates. I think that they have some young pieces that they could build on. Um, obviously, we kind of knew that they were going to be a fluke. I, I think that they could definitely use some sort of rebuild because they, they do have some younger talent when you think about O'Neill Cruz and Hayes, but I still think that they can you know, use that style rebuild because that division, it really isn't that competitive. I don't see it being very competitive for – 
you know, even the next maybe even decade. So I think that uh, the Pirates can use a rebuild. Yeah, I think the very obvious answer here has got to be the Chicago White Sox. It's it's they've tried with this core for four or five years probably now. And they still have legitimate pieces where if they flip this at the deadline and finally rebuild it, they can get back up there in three, four years maybe. But this this team is just not going to do it. It's The pitching is starting to get old, and that's what kind of carried them for a while. And now the offense can't really get it going. The pitching is starting to fade. You're already 10-plus games under 500. This, this franchise needs to reset, really retool, and try to figure out a path to getting back to what they were hoping to once be. Yeah, my answer was going to be the White Sox, but I, I did come prepared with a backup um, just in case. But while we're on the White Sox, I mean, they can get a, a ton for what's on that roster right now. If they sold this team, they could have six top 100 prospects by the end of the year. They, I, I mean, Tim Anderson, sell them. Cease, sell them. Eloy, sell them. Sell everybody. Moncada, sell them. Sell anybody that anybody will take and completely tear it down because it's not happening with that team. Um, but I'm going to go with the Detroit Tigers need to rebuild the rebuild. It's not working. The You had the Tigers and the Royals both go into a rebuild at the same time as the Orioles, and they both suck. They're horrible. Um, and the Royals, I can see um, being competitive in that you know, crap division you know, in a couple years but I can't even see the Tigers being competitive in that division. Um, you know, right now they're 18 and 21, but I would be shocked if they won 60 games this year. Um, so I think you can get, you know, nobody's going to take Javi Baez off your hands. You got to eat that one. Um, but you got pieces like Erod you can deal. Um, you've got other pieces on that team that can be dealt. Um, after this year, you know, let Miggy ride off with this team, but but Terry, Miggy is like the the turning point. Like, let's change it up. Um, so I'm gonna go the, the Tigers rebuild the rebuild here. Um, Jimmy, do you have another one for us? Yeah, I'd say kind of sticking with uh, kind of like a rebuild in the sense prospects. At what point do you think the Mets should call up uh, Ronnie Mauricio? He's been tearing it up in AAA. He's still pretty young. Do you call him up? Do you push the button kind of early and risk him? Uh, maybe slumping, or do you keep him in AAA and let him develop? Because he's kind of been the Mets, I guess, project from a young age. Seeing it, defense is still a question. They've kind of moved him around, even when he was struggling. At you know, age 17, they were still high in him, and you know it's proven to give them dividends as he's you know now starting to hit really well. So do you call up Mauricio now, or do you kind of wait back and let him develop? I think you got to do something now. Uh, it's it's tough because they, it's this team of veterans, and they have this gigantic payroll, and they know that all these guys in the clubhouse, you know that they're all underperforming, and you got to pull it together. But at the same time, a lot of these guys are on the wrong side of 30, on the wrong side of 32. These are all guys who you're starting to see a decline, and it's no fault of their own. I mean, it's just what happens with players. And I feel like this team really needs some injection of something. Whether that's you have to bite the bullet on just DFAing a Marcana or a Luis Guillorme, just getting just it's going to be one domino that happens that'll finally start it. And once that thing comes, I feel like the young guns will start to come up. 
Yeah, I think specifically with Steve Cohen as the owner, um, that even more so triggers the the as soon as possible uh, because it doesn't matter if you DFA a guy with a big contract and have to pay it. It doesn't matter who you DFA, you know, especially now with like precedent of DFAing big money guys that's kind of been set the past couple of years. Um, but the problem is there's that log jam in the infield. You got guys like McNeil, Giorme, Kana, Beatty, Lindor. Like there's a lot of like infielders on the roster right now. Um, so it is going to take, you know, getting rid of someone. I mean, Eddie Escobar's got an OPS in the 600s. Giorme is in the 500s. Kana is, is sub 700. So um, it's not like the guys that are there blocking him are overperforming. Um, so I think that there's an opportunity there to, to cut ties. The money doesn't matter. Um, pull the trigger because the team does need a, a spark. I think missing out on Correa um, was a, a big make or break thing. Um, and, and the team could use a, some kind of spark added. So uh, I'm, I'm going with ASAP like Brad. So my, yeah. my next one would be so far this year, um, what is one thing that you think is guaranteed to happen or continue to hold throughout the rest of the season and something that you would put like your life savings on that's guaranteed to happen? through the end of the season. Uh, if you want me to start with mine, I'll start yeah, with Yeah, that's a good and question. So um, mine is going to be that Ronald Acuna Jr. wins the NL MVP. I'm going to say that that's what he's going to do. It's I've been waiting for this outbreak from him for a couple years now, fully off his ACL injury, and I think he's going to hold this thing down and run away with that. That's a good question. That's a tough one. Um I think I would go with uh, I my life savings on what I'm gonna say the Atlanta Braves winning the NL East. Um, but I'm actually gonna only put 75% on that, and I'm gonna throw another 25% and hedge my bet um, on Luis Arias winning the NL batting title. Um, two there that I think that are going to hold on um, throughout the rest of the season. So uh, that's my answer. All right. So I'll go kind of negative part. I'd say Nestor Cortez continues to suck. I, I don't think that he's going to stay that, like as good as he was last year. To me, he was kind of like a novelty. I mean, I feel like guys of that stature, especially the pitch clock, you know, guys that rely on deception, it's obviously something you think about from pitch to pitch. You know, what arm angle am I going to use? Am I going to quick pitch? You know, with, with Nestor, it's like, you know, he's going to have to keep working at this base, and it's showing that he can't maintain that. Same with Manoa. He's another one you could add, Manoa and Nestor. I don't think that either of them are going to really have, you know, sub four ERA this year uh, because I just don't think that they're built to uh, work at this pace. I'd also say the Mets winning under 85 games. Uh, I, I don't see them winning more than 85. So I put, I don't want to say my life savings on that. A little more confident on Nestor continuing to suck, but um, I don't think the Mets are a legitimately good team. Uh, we've seen it so far this year with how many series they've lost against bad teams. What do we consider uh, Nestor suck? Because he's over a five right now. Are we talking over a five, over a four? Um, what, what do you consider suck? I'd say over a four. Yeah, I'd say like, yeah, four two even four four yeah four twenty four thirty, 
Uh, considering, I, what was he last year? Like a 2.5 or something? Like 2.7? So, I mean, he showed that he could be an ace, and to go from like a 2.5 to a 4.5 is, you know, that's not good. And, you know, Cole's been good, but, um, you know, they need that too, and I don't think Nestor is really doing that, especially with Rodon being out. The thing with um, uh, Nestor is his stuff is not that good. It's it's really not. And, I mean, he throws 90, 91 maybe at most when he's really on. Maybe he touches 92. But he has to be absolutely perfect for him to not get pounded, really. Uh, one, I, so I, was reading, I was reading a little bit on him earlier today, and his ERA through the fourth inning is like a 2.02. But after the fourth inning, his ERA skyrockets to 18 and a half. So as long as as long as you're getting him into the fourth inning and on, he has been one of the worst pitchers in baseball this year. I think at that point you pull a, a Tampa Bay Rays and throw an opener out there for an inning, mm-hmm. giving Nestor an opener. Should who knows? Maybe they um, did run it. They did run an opener out there today. So I thought that's something I wouldn't see the Yankees ever do. Hmm. I mean, they, you got to adjust with the times, and if that's you know, that's telling you Nestor can only get through the lineup twice. Get him a couple batters into that. Let him start off against the you know second half of the order. Um, my next question, um, my last question, um, is right now all five teams in the AL East are over 500. Uh, the last place team in the AL East would be second place in any other division um, besides the NL West, uh, which they would be third. Should MLB consider a division realignment um, with how – poor the concentration of talent is across the league right now. Um, if this is a, a trend, and I think that for the next five or so years, you might see every team in the East be over 500 with the new interleague. So considering everybody plays everybody now, should we consider division alignment? I don't think it'd be the worst idea in the world. I mean, it, it would be kind of convenient to have you know, teams kind of more concentrated within the region. You know, maybe the Pirates should be like an NL East team because they're in uh, Pennsylvania. So, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think it would be tough, though, because if you set that precedent of, oh, the, these teams are good now, you know, or this division top-heavy now, the other one is weak, uh, maybe 10 years down the road, uh, it completely flips. So, I don't know. It, it is kind of dangerous to set that precedent, but I would not be opposed to it. You know, it would make the game kind of fun. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that's going to become a topic in the next few years, but I don't think they touch divisions at all until they add the two more expansion teams, which are eventually going to come. I I think it's just a matter of when, not if anymore, that Major League Baseball is going to expand. And at that point, I would think everything would be on the table because the divisions, the way that they've done the wild card – Winning the third division in the in the league doesn't really matter that anymore because you're only you're playing in the wild card round. Uh, it's definitely something I think we're going to see a lot more talked about in the future, and I wouldn't be surprised if the divisions get a shakeup. Yeah, I think that you end up with um, you're gonna have 32 teams, uh, four eight team divisions. Maybe you have a north, south, east, and west, um, and and kind of do like a a seeding based playoff like the NBA does where you take the top teams out of each top couple out of, out of each conference or out of each division league, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I, I think you're right when the division shakeup and league shakeup will happen with the expansion teams. Um, Jimmy, did you have a third one? 
Yeah, I kind of just thought of one. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Mets national debacle of the whole rain out. Uh, and the next day they had the split double header. Uh, do you think that baseball should have split double headers? Do you think that, you know, if a situation like that happens, uh, it's just the single admission double header. Personally, I'm opposed to split double headers. I, I think, you know, you should pay, you know, for one game to see, you know, a double header, uh, you know, kind of a, a buy one, get one type thing. I think it would boost fan morale. Um, I'm not a fan of the split admission double headers, especially after making your fans sit through a three-hour rain delay with no updates. So I'm kind of curious to see what you guys think. Yeah, I don't think the split double headers should ever be a thing. I think double headers should automatically be uh, one admission. If you if you want to stay for the second game, great. If you can only come to the second game, pay for the one ticket. It'll get you into both. I don't I don't understand why these teams don't do it. I mean, obviously everything's on the margins, and you have to make every little dollar. But like you're saying with the fan engagement, like. I think I'd be more inclined to go see two games instead of one game with my family if I could get it for essentially the price of like, even if it was like the price of a ticket and a half. Or, or it's it's really weird why these teams choose to do the split when I bet like the average fan, you're drawing way more average fan if you're going to go tell them you can go see two games instead of one. And yeah, I think, you know, I guess in a normal circumstance where, you know, you, you get like a rain out, a full rain out, um, and you have two nine-inning games on a day. Like if a team wants to make it split admission, like I guess I, I get the rationale of, you know, you can get full money for each of those games. Um, but I don't get why, why they would want to go through the trouble of ushering people out of the stadium and checking tickets again. That seems like more of a hassle than the money is worth for that one game. Um, but, but this situation in particular – um, is is particularly ridiculous because it's not two full nine inning games. If you're talking the completion of a game, you are not making people pay to come in for to watch a couple innings, um, and then usher everybody out and then bring the next people. And that's ridiculous. If it's a completion of a game, that's got to be single admission. That's just silly, um, and and shame on the Nationals for that one. Um, but I, I guess in a typical circumstance, if you want to go split admission. Go for it. It sucks. I'm not a fan of it, but I get it. But not when it's a completion. So my last question would be that, um, so you are talking about, I was just talking about these expansion teams, and you're an owner of one of these expansion teams. You have a guaranteed Hall of Famer generational player ready for you, what position are you choosing and why are you choosing that position? So I, I would probably I, I would probably choose the shortstop just because he's the king of the infield. He's going to go talk to your pitchers. Probably going to be the captain of your team. Um, I feel like he's every just being behind the pitcher all the time. I feel like his presence there just really would be what I would want and a leader for my team. Yeah, I think shortstop is a, a good answer. Um, it would be my second answer, um, but I think that I'm going to go catcher. Um, it's so rare. It is your leader of your – as much as the shortstop is the leader of the infield, the catcher um, has the whole field in front of him. He's the leader of, of the team, really. He's the one calling out plays. Uh, he's the one calling pitches, um, making your pitchers better. So you have a Hall of Fame catcher. All your pitchers are going to look better. 
Um, and I don't know, maybe it's a, a bias thing, you know, being the O's fan and having hopefully Hall of Fame catcher, uh, you know, right now a guy who, who talk, is talked about like that and seeing the impact of what a, a catcher can have. Adley just finished his uh, first one in the big leagues. Um, and the Orioles were on a 93 win pace over those 162. Um, so you can see the difference that a catcher makes just there. But I'm just being that leader of your team. Uh, and then after his playing career is over, you have your next manager too. So, yeah, I'd probably go center field, honestly. When you think about center fielders, aside from Trout, it, it's a position kind of like catcher that it may be a shortstop that you kind of age out of as you get older. I think to have a dynamic center fielder is important, kind of like the king of the outfield. I think it's really tough to find a guy like Trout uh, that can hit 30-plus home runs, hit 300, and even play great defense. I mean, Trout's you know, a decent defender, but I mean, if, if you get a guy like Cedric Mullins, imagine a guy like Cedric Mullins hitting 30 home runs. Obviously, he could steal, but also hitting you know, 300 with a 900-plus OPS. So I, I think center field would be a good place to start. A lot of those guys are, you know, that most athletic players. So um, it would definitely be exciting to watch that. Yeah, and I think those three are are the only three answers. Honestly, any of those three answers could have been the right answer, um, but I don't think that. I would accept an answer other than those three. So kind of cool that we touched on all three of those. Um, but that wraps up um, this segment uh, for this episode. Uh, and now we're going to go on to uh, our typical rest of the episode um, with Jimmy and our MLB Players of the Week here. So AL Player of the Week, uh, Harrison Bader shined for the Yankees, but I went with Anthony Rizzo. Uh, 12 hits, three home runs, six RBI, 444 average. 815 slug and a 1346 OPS. Um, NL player of the week, kind of a big prospect. It didn't really pan out uh, for his old team, but really is panning out for the Reds and Jake Fraley. Uh, seven hits, three home runs, 10 RBI, 413 average, a 1063 slug and a 1533 OPS. The AL pitcher of the week, a guy the Mets had, I'm sure they could really use him now. Big innings eater in Chris Bassett. He threw a complete game shutout against the Braves. Uh, obviously, no runs, eight strikeouts, two hits, and two walks. Uh, NL Pitcher of the Week, another shutout in Mitch Keller of the Pirates against the Rockies. Very similar numbers. Um, no runs, eight strikeouts, four hits, and just one walk. AL Rookie of the Week is Bryce Miller of the Mariners. Over two games, he won both. 13 innings pitched, no runs, eight strikeouts, five hits, and just one walk which for a rookie, you know, over two starts is just a lot of walking. It's really impressive. And the NL Rookie of the Week is Dominic Fletcher of the Diamondbacks. Kind of really came out of nowhere, but has been doing really well. Uh, 11 hits, two doubles, a triple, two home runs, 11 RBI, 500 batting average, 955 slug, and a 1476 OPS. I just had, like, war flashbacks when you said Mitch Keller. Mitch Keller just absolutely dominated the Orioles yesterday. It was disgusting to watch. I hated every second of it, but um, it's probably he's going to put himself in the running for the award for the next week too. So maybe we'll have a back-to-back there. Um, but um, now we're going to go uh, with the Major League Umpires of the Week. So these these two umpires this week could not have been on the more opposite spectrums of their of their own demise and appreciation so our best umpire was junior valentine he did the game tuesday in kansas city with the white Sox in town white Sox won the game four to two 
Uh, his overall accuracy for the day, 99%. Consistency, 95. Called ball, 100. And his called strike was 97. His relative accuracy was 4.8% average. Better than your expected umpire, 5.4 more correct calls. Overall factor was 0 .05 runs for the White Sox. And his only missed call of the day came in the first inning. Bases empties, 0-0 count. He, he was that close to a perfect game. And Emil Jimenez, he did the game Monday. Um, last Monday, not today. In San Francisco with the Washington Nationals in town. Overall accuracy, 84%. Overall consistency, 87%. Called ball, 92%. And his called strike was 70%. So overall factor was plus 1.56 runs for the Giants, and his relative accuracy was negative 8.9%, or 10.5 fewer correct calls on your average umpire. And that was the worst official scored umpire since 2019, so it is was the worst game by an umpire in over four years. What does it say about the Giants that he gave them more runs than they scored. <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing. The umpire gifted you these runs and you cannot score them. Uh, that's unfortunate, but uh, Emil, uh, we hope that you bounce back. We hope that we get you as a best umpire. Uh, it's all about how you rebound from this man. So um, now we're gonna go down to the farm for the minor league players of the week. So our AAA was Tyler Fitzgerald. He's an infielder for these San Francisco Giants with the Sacramento Rivercats. 25 years old, was a 2019 fourth rounder out of the University of Louisville. Not inside the Giants' top 30. Uh, he's kind of ripped through AA and now AAA, and I would imagine that he's going to debut at some point this year. Uh, this past week, he had eight runs scored, doubled three times. Homered three times, drove in six, stole three bags, and had a 1579 OPS. Double A is Domingo Robles. He's the starting pitcher for the Mississippi Braves. 25 years old. Uh, he's been in professional baseball for a very long time. He has bounced around uh, organization after organization. He was signed as an international free agent in 2014 to the Pirates. Not inside the Braves' top 30. He's got 750-plus innings in the minors. Like I said, he's bounced around for a while. Uh, but something's clicked this year. He's been He's got an ERA under three. He's been really good in about 40, 45 innings. Uh, this past week, he went six innings, allowed four hits, didn't give up an earned run, walked two, and struck out 11. High A, Justice Bigby. He's the first baseman for the West Michigan Whitecaps, 24 years old was a 2021 19th rounder, 555th overall out of Western Carolina. Not inside the Tigers' top 30. Uh, it's interesting that he spent so much time down in, in low A for before this call-up this past week. Uh, especially as a college graduate, you don't really see those guys stay down there for more than half a season or so. Um, this past week, scored seven runs, doubled four times, homer twice. Drove in nine, and for America, he had a 1776 OPS. Low A was Blake Adams. He's a starting pitcher for the Fresno Grizzlies. 22 years old, was a 2022 13th rounder, 13th rounder out of Kansas State. 
also not inside the Rockies' top 30, but I think he should be up by the at least to double A by the end of this year. I mean, he's been pretty good. He's a college pitcher. Uh, this past week, he went seven innings, gave up only four hits, one and run, didn't walk anybody, and struck out nine. All right, and back to the big league side. We are going to the power and sour rankings. Uh, starting on the sour side, uh, which is the worst of the worst from the last week. Uh, number one, I would say, sorry, Jim, but Jim was probably the biggest advocate for the Mets to be number one on the sour rankings. Uh, so the Mets, were, who were number three in the previous week, fall to number one now. Uh, number two is the San Diego Padres, who, like we mentioned, are, are disappointing, but at least the dugout vibes are good. They're all having a good time laughing, hanging out in the dugout. So uh, losing is fun in San Diego, at least. Number three, the Pittsburgh Pirates are finally being exposed as the frauds that we knew that they were. Uh, we were never bought in on the Pirates. Uh, hot starts happen all the time, um, and they're finally being exposed. So they go not ranked to number three. St. Louis Cardinals are up from number one to number four, um, getting a little bit better, I guess. Nolan is starting to click, um, but still uh, – in this deep, deep hole that they dug themselves into. Um, number five, the Oakland Athletics continue to be one of the worst teams in baseball history uh, with single-digit wins still. They have nine wins on the season. Um, so the, the A's come in at number five. Over to the power ranking side, jumping right to number five, the Toronto Blue Jays fall one spot to number five. Uh, they were number four last week. Jumping all the way up from number six uh, is the LA Dodgers, back on the power rankings, back in the top five. Uh, last week, they were number six. They're up to number four now. Uh, number three, the Baltimore Orioles holding steady at three um, after taking a series from the Pirates and the Rays. Number two, the Atlanta Braves hold strong at number two, um, and that means that the Tampa Bay Rays are still holding strong at number one. Um, so three weeks in a row um, that the Orioles, Braves, uh, and Rays hold their spots there. Uh, that wraps it up for this week's episode. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. If y'all want to check out the rest of the power rankings, head to at CTBP pod, check out six through 10 there. Plus Ed Gonnell's live streams for call of the show, Sunday night, baseball, pick them MLB research stat of the week, Brad's must see matchups of the weekend, almost Friday posts and more. Um, we'll see you all next week with another episode.